Welcome back. R Richard, it's good to see you. you're in a very different place today. I'm in a different location. I am. Yes, we, we are recording on, um, well, the day after Thanksgiving, so Black Friday, we're recording, and um, you, you went away to visit family. I did. I did. I did uh, Washington, D.C., uh, family here, and, and uh, decided to tr take the risk of traveling on the busiest uh, travel days of the year. But I have to say, the airports got it down. Uh, it was, uh, they were fully staffed and everything went without a hitch despite the crowds. I mean, I, I can't say enough about how the um, TSA and, and um, the airlines, everybody was cooperating. So it was an uneventful journey and very, very easy to do. So despite all the, despite all the traffic, it, uh, everything went well. That's great. That's great. And hopefully your return trip will be uh, equally smooth and you'll be able to um, be back at work uh, first thing next week. Looking forward to that. Yep. Yeah. So today we we are actually not going to talk about Thanksgiving or uh, Black Friday or, or even the holidays that are coming up. We're going to talk about um, we're going to talk about mental health sort of in this general sense, because there was this recent article that was published um, in time that um, really caught our attention and deserves some some focus as we um, in a podcast today. Right. Yeah. The, the, the title of the article sort of captures the entire issue. Uh, the title is America has reached peak therapy. And then the next, why is our mental health getting worse? Um, and that certainly got our attention. Um, our guilty is charged. Are we really, are we really getting worse? And the article implies that our current approaches, uh, psychiatry and psychology, um, might be failing our patients. And so the question is, are, are we really failing patients? And there's a wonderful line in this article, and, I, and I, I'll, I'll quote it. It said, it isn't only that demand is outpacing supply, it's that the supply was never very good to begin with, leaning on therapies and medications that only skim the surface of a vast ocean of need. And that's sort of hit us because there are really two issues embedded in that sentence. One is, and the first one that caught my attention was the supply was never very good to begin with, which is sort of a scathing criticism of the entire institution. And then the other issue is a vast ocean of need that apparently we're not, we as mental health professionals are not addressing, okay? So it raises two issues. And, and we kind of want to talk about these two issues as we go through this. One is, what is my responsibility as a mental health professional? Right. right? right. Um, and, and we have to have the courage to, to be self-critical. Right. Uh, we have to say, am I doing a good job? Or, and also, we need to be a learning organization. We need to, we need to learn from our mistakes. And if we're if we're falling short or we're making mistakes, we need to learn from those and do better. Absolutely. So there's responsibilities that we have as individual therapists doing our work each day. There's a second issue that's that's in this article, and that is, is there some societal responsibility? Uh, does does do we have some larger responsibility and is mental health like cigarettes and automobile safety and food safety is it a it is a it, is it a societal issue that we should be providing um a safety um to large numbers maybe to the entire country um and then the second issue in there is can we make individuals healthy 
in a culture that isn't healthy. You know, right. you think of the homeless, you think of the unemployed, the underemployed, uh, the marginalized. And you think, well, is our culture, is do we live in a healthy culture? And if you don't live in a healthy culture, can you then expect to make individuals healthy? And I think that's an important question. Um, you know, we, we we talk a lot about divisiveness and anger and and groups. You know, there's there's a great deal of racial, or religious, ethnic um, hatred around right now. And if you have an angry um, society, can you make individuals happy when they're living in an angry society? Uh, absolutely. And so, and, and to to even you know, think about that, you know, we could just look at some of these statistics, which is, which are pretty staggering, but, you know, right now, and and keep in mind that these statistics really are only focusing on people who are insured because, you know, insurance companies gather data and and then that data is then used to kind of get some of these, Mm -hmm. some of this information. And so, People. This doesn't include people who aren't insured, or and certainly doesn't include people who don't seek treatment. But you know, one in eight adults in the United States are on antidepressants. Right. And antidepressants right. are used to treat depression, of course, and um, and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one in eight adults, U.S. adults, are on antidepressants. Twenty percent of, of people mm-hmm. receive some kind of mental health care mm-hmm. now. We've talked for a long time about 20% and that, you know, there's this need um, or this sort of statistically about 20% of people at any given time um, probably meet criteria for a mental health condition. But if we're only talking about this particular subset of the population that have insurance and that are seeking treatment, um, mm-hmm. health treatment, um, and that's 20%, we'd have to assume that there's a far greater number of people who actually need mental health treatment. You know, Bernie, in our community alone, um, many of the people who are receiving treatment are not insured. Right. Because because the practices don't accept insurance. Right. So they're not counted. Right. And And hundreds of patients who are not being counted here. Right. In in our area alone, which is a, you know, moderate size, medium size, Closer to right. size, um, uh, area in in Central Florida, um, most of the psychiatrists in our area do not take insurance. They don't take insurance, exactly. So, so all of none of their patients would be captured by by these statistics. Right. So these are minimum numbers. Right. Right. Yeah. On the uh, they're, yeah, they're definitely on the more conservative end, and right. you know, and and the access. While access to mental health services has increased, you know, there's more uh, a significantly higher portion of people seeking mental health treatment than they did, you know, a decade ago or so. Um, the, the rates and prevalence of mental health conditions continues to significantly increase. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, suicide rates are up 30 percent since uh, in the in the last two decades. Right. So since 2000, suicide rates have increased by 30 percent. Right. Um, you know, we we just talked about 20 percent of people have some kind of mental health, um, you know, are getting some kind of mental health care. But 30 percent of adults in, in surveys, 30 percent of adults report depression and anxiety. That's right. And that's that minimum number again. You know, 20 percent are reported, but there are not large, vast numbers who are not being reported. So it's it's probably much larger than 20 percent, much greater than 20 percent. Right. So the the bottom line with this is that. There, there is a large 
portion of our population that have mental health needs, um, that vast ocean that the author was talking about. And, and while we are, you know, he mentioned that the, the supply doesn't meet the demand, we right. have a huge number of people who need mental health support and services. Mm-hmm. Yet the, the availability of support services and mental health treatment continues to lag behind right. the need. And so, you know, that problem is 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 apparent that right. there's just not enough supply to meet the demand. Yeah, there's like eight thousand we're like eight thousand therapists short. We we can't even begin to meet the demand that's out there. Um so again, there's those two issues of what we're doing may not be very effective, but also we're not reaching vast numbers of patients who are seeking uh mental health um help. Okay. Right. Absolutely. So so we know that demand far out uh, out uh, paces supply um and we're not sure about whether what we're doing is effective or not so what are the problems we know well there, there are two one is there's a problem at, at, in making a diagnosis right. and second there's a problem of intervention and of course the first person we think about is dr silver right when you, tell it, you know because he famously said over and over again if you don't have the right diagnosis it doesn't matter what the treatment is right. okay and so with problem number one is diagnosis. Um, the problem with mental health, and we've talked about this before, unlike physical illness, there are no biomarkers. There, there are no lab tests that we can give for mental illness. There's no, there's no test for dyslexia. There's no test for depression. There isn't a single biomarker that says you have this or that illness. Um, and mental health illnesses are not either or they're not black and white. It's like you either have it or you don't have it. You're either depressed or you're not depressed. Now for insurance purposes or for billing purposes, you can say, yes, you have depression or no, you don't have depression, but in the real world, that's not how these work. It's not an either or. Right. You know, one of the things that we often say when we do workshops and and when we're teaching about mental health conditions is that most symptoms, most characteristics of mental illness, mental right. health problems, many of those symptoms are perfectly normal and natural at some times. You know, right. it is perfectly normal to be depressed when you've lost a loved one yeah. or when you're going through significant stressors in your life. It's, right. you know, it's perfectly normal when you know you're coming off of anesthesia after mm-hmm. a surgery it's perfectly normal for some people to have hallucinations right right so it's True. you know so there are times when you can you know sometimes the most serious mental health symptoms that you can think of whether it's hallucinations or delusions or depre- suicidal depression or those kinds of things there are times when it's not surprising or not unusual for someone to experience those symptoms and so you're right it's not Either you have it or you don't have it. It's that do you have it at a level in, in a situation that causes functional impairment? Right. That's right. We've talked about that many times before. Right. And in our field, we use the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which is based on symptoms. You right. know, of these symptoms and what's the likelihood that you have the diagnosis. But remember, it's we're always talking about symptoms. And it may not be sufficient to treat a person's symptoms. It may be that there's there's a problem beyond just the symptom presentation because what, what people are talking about now is what's causing the symptoms, 
Yes, you have these symptoms, but what's causing the symptoms? Why are you depressing? Um, William Glasser used to say, you're not depressed, you're depressing for some reason, okay? And we have to get to the reason. And so it raises the question of, do I have a mental illness or do I have a life problem? Right. You know, maybe my problem is I'm stumbling, stubbing my toe on a life problem mm-hmm. uh, at work or at home. And I'm, I don't really have a mental illness. It, it's just right. a life problem. So yeah. we can't, if we just treat symptoms, are we doing enough for our patients? Right. And then, and the other question is, if the diagnosis is inaccurate, if I make the wrong diagnosis, it doesn't matter what intervention I do. Right. It's not going to work because I've got the wrong diagnosis. Absolutely. And, and we see this, you know, very often here in our office. And I just, and it brings to mind a, a patient that I saw a couple of days ago where, you know, he struggles with ADHD symptoms and <clears throat> some depressive anxiety symptoms and anxiety symptoms. Um, and he's on medication and he keeps, we keep talking about how the medication isn't working. It's not doing what it needs to do. Mm-hmm. And he's failing his classes and, and, and all kinds of things like that. But when we get down to it, he, he hates the classes that he's taking. He has absolutely no interest in them. He has all kinds of problems and issues going on with, with his home life and with his family and with mm-hmm. his relationship. So he has all of these other things going on that have absolutely nothing to do with um with what he's really complaining about <clears throat> which is you know he wants to be able to pass his class well if you're not interested in the class you don't have any motivation for it right. if you have all this other you know every time you go home there's arguments and fights and things like that well it's no it's no wonder that you're really having a hard time and that has nothing to the medication isn't going to fix that that's right yeah if you're in a job that you don't like if you're in an educational program you don't like if you're in a relationship that's not working you're going to have symptoms but it may not be that you have a mental illness. It right. may be that you're struggling with some life issues. Okay? So there's a problem at the diagnostic level with just working with symptoms and that you might have the wrong diagnosis. But there are also problems at the intervention level. And that's problem two. It's a problem with intervention. Uh, we talk about everybody wants to use evidence-based therapies. But even if you use an evidence-based therapy, everybody everybody is familiar with cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT. Um, it's evidence-based, so we want to use evidence-based therapies. But it doesn't matter if it's evidence-based if you're treating the wrong thing. Right. If, if somebody makes a, a, an inaccurate diagnosis, it doesn't matter whether the therapy is uh, evidence-based or not, it's not going to work. And we see this, especially with drug therapies, because people will often say, well, I, I tried medication, it's not work, it doesn't work. Right. Um, in 2000, the National Institutes of Mental Health did a very large multi-site study. And they what they wanted to know was if one antidepressant was more effective than the others. And when they did the study, they found out that none of them was very effective. Right. So, the, so even medications are not always effective. And then if you fast forward to 2018, there was a meta-analysis done. Meta-analysis is a study of studies. And there were 522 studies analyzed, and it found that there's only a modest effect with medication. So there's some reason why, whether they're medical interventions, drug interventions, or non-drug interventions, why so many of them are not effective. And we know that they're not effective, but it may be because we don't have the right diagnosis. Absolutely. I I think that that's the 
you know, I think that what's going to come out is that that's the primary issue is that, you know, we're, we're, we're treating depressive symptoms, but medication isn't going to treat depressive symptoms. They're going to, they, they treat depression, the mental health condition known as depression that is, that has a biological root. We're not, it's not, they're not intended to treat, you know, you're, you're depressed because of this job situation that you're in right now. And, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, but you still go there every day. You know, right. it, it's not, they're not designed to treat that um, because that's not depression. Those are symptoms. Those are responses or reactions to things that's going on in your environment. And I, I think that that's going to be, uh, I mean, it's the same thing we t- talk about all the time with ADHD in kids, you know, right. you know, if you, when you, when you have kindergartners that are required to do book reports um, and, you know, are l- learning multiplication for goodness sakes, um, yeah, there's going to be some kids who aren't going to sit down and pay attention, but it, it's not because they don't have AD, that be, it's not because they have ADHD. It's because th- that's a ridiculous setting for those kindergartners to be in. Yeah, you you have famously said, and I, I've heard you when you're doing conferences and workshops, that if the lecture was being given in a language that you don't understand, Chinese or or Russian, you, you're you're going to look like you're hyperactive because you're going to be distracted. You're going to be looking out the window. You might be walking around the room looking for something to do because yeah. you simply don't understand what's going on around you. Doesn't mean you have ADHD. It means that it's in a language that you don't understand. Okay, yeah. and so. We, we need to be careful about jumping to uh, a diagnostic conclusion. You know, medications don't treat job dissatisfaction. Medications don't treat learning disabilities or learning problems, and they don't treat boredom. So we need to be careful about the diagnosis. Now, the third problem, when we talk about diagnosis, we talk about medication. I like to think of diagnoses not being dichotomous. Do you have it or don't you have it? Are you depressed? Are you not depressed? I like to think of them as there are serious mental illnesses, there are mild mental illnesses, and there there are life problems. And if you think of mental health on a spectrum, the spectrum goes from serious mental illness to I got a life problem. I I don't like my job. I don't like my house. I don't like the city where I'm living. I hate the heat but I live in central Florida. Well, then move, go someplace where it's cool. Now, serious mental illnesses, and by serious mental illnesses, we're talking about things like schizophrenia, bipolar disorder. Those sorts of illnesses probably respond and may require medication. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's pretty clear that if a person has schizophrenia and you give them a mood stabilizer, antipsychotic medication, that they get symptom relief and their life gets better. Right. Okay. Then there's mild mental illnesses. And I think that's where we're having our problems is with mild mental illness and life problems. With mild mental illness like depression and anxiety, which are the two most common mental illnesses that we treat, Mm -hmm. symptom reduction may not equal therapy. Just because you're reducing the symptoms doesn't mean you're really doing therapy. Right. Yeah, there um, there, there were some interesting studies done not too terribly long ago where they looked at where they were looking at depression and they had two groups, you know, the, the, the group that was getting the actual medication. And then they had another group that was getting a placebo. Right. Well, they started doing this third group, which was called a waitlist group. And what they did with that group was they enrolled them into the study, but they said, you know, we'll just have to wait because there's too many people in the study right now. <clears throat> you know, let's, we'll get your baseline information 
And then when a spot opens up in the study, then we'll, we'll enroll you. And so they, they, they did the baseline for this waitlist group. And then they assessed them again, you know, a few weeks later. And they found that a large portion of those people got better. They, their depression okay. symptoms, but nothing was done. no medication, no nothing. And, and so within a couple of weeks, depressive symptoms tend to remit, you know, they tend to alleviate and because life circumstances change. And again, it, you know, when we're talking about depressive symptoms, we're not necessarily talking about depression. And so now there's this whole idea that we really need to think about this waitlist group of people who, you know, you just have to give them a little bit of time. Now, therapy is wonderful for that because therapy is a way to, you know, maybe even speed up that process. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like you said, just because there's some symptom reduction doesn't mean that it's therapy. It could just be that, you know, your life circumstances are changing enough to where those symptoms are starting to relieve. Right. And, you know, I think of anxiety. Um, there are there are many treatments for anxiety, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy. <clears throat> we can treat your anxiety symptoms. But until we get to the root cause of your anxiety, you know, that's what we have to get to is what, what, what's creating the anxiety. I can reduce your symptoms, but isn't the goal to reduce the the reason for your anxiety you know or we can we can we can reduce your depression symptoms but let's get how about the root cause of your depression is, is, is where should we be going but treating symptoms is much easier and cheaper than treating root causes i mean you know i if i can give you a drug that takes away your depressive symptoms i'm reducing your symptoms but i'm making you better if i don't treat the cause of your depression and, and so that that becomes the, the the difficult issue, and that's the that's the problem with these mild mental illnesses like depression and anxiety. Then there's a third at the other end of the spectrum are life problems, you right. know. And what we have to be, I think, what we as professionals have to be careful of is that we don't treat feelings as though they're symptoms. Right. Um, I can have feelings of sadness. I can have feelings of depression. I can have feelings of anxiety. But it doesn't mean that I have a mental illness. It, it could just be that I have a life problem. The other thing about having these feelings is do we want to quell them? Do we want to moderate our feelings? Because feelings motivate us to do something. If I'm feeling unhappy, if I'm feeling sad, if I'm feeling anxious, it, those things motivate me. We, we've done podcasts on that, that our emotions motivate us okay, yeah. to, to take action. And should should we should we reduce people's feelings because then we're taking away their their motivation to do something about it? Okay, right. so I think we need to be very careful and look very differently at severe mental illness versus mild mental illness versus life problems. And I think that's where that's what we're responsible for. Yeah. Now there's this second issue of do we have a societal problem? Right. And that's the, that's the big thing. I think that we have to, we have to decide. Right. Uh, we're not, not, not even really decide, but we just have to reconcile in, in our minds. You know, is it possible or what can we do when, when looking at the individual amidst the, the societal issues, right. you know, one thing that's a, it's a crude example, but it's an ex a good example nonetheless is that, you know, you, you can, you can take your dog out of the pen and you can take it to the groomers and you can get it washed and cleaned and, you know, and treated and everything. But if you take it back home and you put it back in the same dirty pen that has fleas, 
right. It's going to get dirty and get the fleas again. It's, right. it's just going to happen. Mm-hmm. And, and so you can treat the individual. Um, but what do we do when we have, when it's the society that is having the sickness? Right. That's right. If you, you know, if you have high rates of, for example, I think veterans are a good example. Okay. Veterans come back and they're, and many of them have difficulty, not all, but many veterans return and they're still struggling with issues. Well, if we're not, we've asked them to serve our country. Okay. Do we have an obligation to provide them with the best uh, services? And I think we do. And are we doing that? Apparently not, because there's very high suicide rates among veterans. So do, do veterans have a mental health issue? Yeah, but is it a is it an individual problem or is it a societal problem? And right. I think if we're asking people to put their lives on the line to, to, to get injured, whether it's emotionally or physically, that we then have, society has an obligation. Um, what about the homeless? What about the elderly in our country? You know, you get old in the United States and you're, you're in for some serious problems, okay? Uh, children with handicapping conditions. What about caregivers? You know, these people, the many, many millions of, of Americans who are taking care of family members, is that a societal problem or is that just your tough luck, all right? Um, I don't mean to be gross, but is it, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even go there. But it's almost as though you wish some you wish the elderly would suddenly disappear so that nobody has to take care of them. Well, I'm sorry, the elderly are, are going to take, they're going to require lots of resources. Right. And that's not, that shouldn't be a family <laughs> problem. That should be something that we as a society deal with. And we're not doing that. The underemployed, the unemployed, uh, people who are living paycheck to paycheck, that creates anxiety. Right. Okay. So are we looking at individual mental health problems or are we looking at a are we looking at societal problems that we ought to address as a society? Right. Yeah, I, I think that it's a good example. I think mentioning the unemployed and underemployed is important because with most of these things that we're talking about as examples of you know whether it's being a caregiver or having kids with handicapping conditions and things like that, you know it, it's remarkable how much easier it is to manage those things when you have the resources to manage those things. Exactly. You know, if, think- if you have the resources to to hire a, a full time nurse for your, uh, you know, aging parents um, to take care of them and to make sure that, you know, whatever health related issues they have going on is, is managed. Well, that mm-hmm. is a, a, a ton of stress from you. Right. But you don't care about them. And I certainly don't want it to be interpreted that way. But it's a very different kind of stress than when you're deal- you're managing and you're providing the treatment on a daily basis. That's right. And, and and where does where does the individual responsibility and and society say, hey, look, this is not your fault that right. you, you know, there are countries where if you have a child with Down syndrome, the the government picks up the costs of, of that care. OK, we don't do that in our country. Right. If, if you have an elderly adult with Alzheimer's and you can't afford four or five thousand dollars a month to put that person in a, in a facility, then you're going to be dealing with that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you know? And so is that a societal problem or is that just the, is that just a tough break for you as an individual? Okay. And at some point um, we're, we're, I I think we're moving toward, maybe these are societal problems that we ought to be dealing with. Like we deal with um, like we dealt with cigarettes or, 
uh, automobile safety? You know, is it is is mental health? Could it be that mental health problems are more of a societal problem than just an individual problem? Right. And with with that, and if that's the case, which which I think that there is a, a fair argument that it is, that's when you start looking at public policy yeah, and exactly. start looking at, you know, what is what what are the systems in place to manage that? And the reality with that is that public policy changes are very slow. They um they, they take a long time to to right. um to to move and to change. And and so you know we're left in this circumstance where as these societal issues change very quickly, um, you know, life today is very different than it was in 2019. And that's just a couple of years, right. you know, that's that's one that's one presidential cycle, you know. It, is right. so um so we're leaving you know these public policy these societal issues to be treated by the school system right or right. by the the legal the system prison, the prison system right yeah um and so we're we're leaving these things to be managed by these systems that aren't intended to to manage those systems in any way but they're right. being held and many times held responsible for managing them. That's right. And and that's what we've done by default is we've said, well, we don't want to deal with these real issues at, at a societal level. So by default, prisons deal with the public school systems and families. You know, right. if, if your child can't go to school, there's no place, there's no other alternative. You have to keep that child at home and do the best you can. Right. And so those are problems that we could fix fairly quickly. That they, They're not going to require massive uh, public policy decisions. Um, the other thing is, should should we rely strictly on insurance to do this? You know, the insurance I, companies are their companies, they're for-profit companies. Should mental health be uh, should mental health be in the hands of for-profit companies? Right. Um, education in our country has always been the government has assumed a responsibility for education. Should we re- should we assume responsibility for mental health care? I, I don't have the answer to that, but I think it's a question worth asking. Yeah, I think that we we really need to do a a, a good sort of as we started out this podcast, a, a good self check and say, you know, here's here's what we're doing. How effective is it? Right. And, and are there better ways to do it? You know, we mm-hmm. we are now in in a world of of teletherapy. Um, we are very much in a world of medication. You know, right. are these things beneficial? And if they are, to whom are they beneficial and, and to whom are they not beneficial? Yeah, Bernie, that, that's one thing that you and I have talked about many times, teletherapy. It's not either or, you know, let's not have teletherapy. or No, teletherapy works for a lot of people. Right. Well, let's use it for the people it works for and not use it for the people it doesn't work for. Right. Okay. But at the same time, there are people who need to be sitting on the couch. Exactly. They need to be in the office. office. Exactly. Exactly. And so we don't have to throw everything out. It doesn't have to be an either or. So um, we we have to, but I think we have to look at all these things. You know, who who does medication, medication works well for some people. So you don't want to get rid of medication. You don't want to get rid of drugs, but let's use it for the people who will benefit from it. Those are decisions that we can make today. That's not a public policy decision. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're, we're certainly going to be talking about this more because um, this is a this is a big issue. And I, I think that there, there's sufficient research coming out to to really support this idea that that things are getting more concerning mm-hmm. as it relates to our, our societal mental health. 
and um, and what's happening with that. And I, I think in many ways we are making a shift from you know there's a lot of focus on on physical health related issues, right? You know, um, d- different illnesses, and and I think that we are getting into an age where people are starting to recognize that mental illness is just as significant, just as serious and, and just as big of a, a societal problem as measles. Um, right. So mm-hmm. we need to, we need to deal with it. Yeah. And I think, I think veterans are, are a perfect example. Um, we, we do a very good job at prosthetic devices and physical therapy and, and the medical uh, needs, but the mental health needs are just as significant, you know, and we're just not doing as good a job with the mental health needs as we are with the physical health needs. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think that that's where we'll wrap it up for today, okay. this week. Um, we'll be back next week to talk about another topic. We'll, another we'll... topic. Oh, yes. We <laughs> do have a topic for next week, as a matter of fact. Yes. December well... 2nd, we have a special treat for everybody. We do. We do. We are um, going to do an, We're going to interview someone. So it's going to be uh, as long as we don't have to reschedule again. <clears throat> we had planned this a while back and we had to right. reschedule. So hopefully we'll be able to. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's, that'll be an interesting interview next week. So please stay tuned. Join, yes. join you. Mm-hmm. It'll be it's a psychiatrist friend of ours and we're going to talk about a, a new medication treatment. And so it'll be uh, really interesting. So, yeah. All right. So. Stay safe, everyone. Um, this during this holiday season, and um, don't don't go out and uh, spend all of your money. Um, <laughs> be mindful about what you're doing with all of that. I keep forgetting that it's Black Friday. Yes. Oh, okay. So, all right. So until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and forget to be afraid. <laughs>